I was just thinking about uh, roadways, signposts, how you find your way through landmarks. And um, I ran into a woman who had a flip phone and she had pulled over on the road and didn't know where she was or how to get to, I think it was like Trader Joe's from Hawthorne. And she's like, how do I get to Trader Joe's? And I was like, okay. So what you do is you just go out of the road, you take a right, you keep going, but stay in the left lane because then the lane goes straight. But if you're in the right lane, it turns right. Basically, she's like, her eyes just got bigger and bigger. And I'm like, and then you keep going straight. And then you'll take, you'll go over the freeway. And then you'll take a right onto Halsey. Like I was just trying to like, I, I drew her a map and she just, she looked like she wasn't gonna get there. Um, and I was like, okay, if you don't know, just pull over again and ask again, right? Ask the next person you meet how to get there. But just keep going straight. So I thought, um, I was just thinking about roadways and directions, and um, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul, because we're in the book of Acts, and we're continuing in our series, and the Apostle Paul did a lot of travel, and we find Paul on his first missionary journey in Acts 13. He was already in Paphos, and then he's going to be traveling and continuing on his journey, sailing over to Perga in modern-day Turkey, and then going north by 135 miles on a Roman roadway up to Pisidian Antioch. So I'm thinking, okay, how is Paul finding his way around? Well, good thing the Romans were, had excellent roadways. They had excellent roadways that had over 50,000 miles of roadways. And the roadways made the Roman Empire great because they had military might. They could move quickly throughout the whole region. They could get there quickly. Wealth was transported. Economic gain was possible. And the roads were built to last. And there's still some roadways that are around today. And if you've ever done any travel in Greece and Turkey, you see these incredible systems. The roads have are engineered well. They have a, a top portion that's a little higher, then they kind of curve down, they have trenches, they're dug out, they put sand down and then gravel, just like you would do a path today with, with um, mortar and then stones that are larger kind of placed on top. And so, I mean, it wouldn't be a smooth journey necessarily, a little bit bumpy, but, but made to last. And so, they, they were patrolled, they had post houses, and every couple of miles they would have inns so you could journey and travel. And one of the things they had were these um, stone pillars that would say where you should stop, where the inns were, the distances between towns. They also included who constructed the roads, when they were built, and when they were last maintained. It's like, wow, that's a lot of detail all these signposts, and um, Emperor Augustus installed this golden milestone right in the center of Rome in the Forum, made out of bronze, this pillar, to say, kind of, that all roads lead to Rome, right? All these roadways kind of move to the center of power, the most important sign. 
So um, when I was living in Spokane, Washington, I worked with a lot of college students, and I got to know a lot of their backstories, and um, uh, it was quite fun. There was this massive church in the center of campus, and at nighttime, these two little crosses would light up at the top. And the students very casually told me, oh yeah, many a night have I used those crosses to guide me home. And I was like, what? Oh, we were so drunk, we couldn't remember where we lived. So we would follow the crosses home. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And uh, just like these crosses that are lit up, I think about, and these roadways and this golden milestone, I think about scripture, how all throughout scripture there are these signposts and these these markers all leading to Jesus. These these signposts that kind of point out the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming, you can have freedom, you can have grace in Jesus. And so today, as we look at the continue in the book of Acts, we're going to be looking at Paul's sermon. And initially, I was like, oh no, I'm going to be preaching a sermon in a sermon. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. But it was such a powerful sermon that he, he met in the synagogue in this front of this Jewish audience and... He he preached a sermon that was so compelling that nearly all the town gathered to hear his follow-up and hear him continue to explain what he spoke about. So um, how about we pray together and then we'll jump into God's word. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your continued presence with us today. We are thankful that as your followers that you speak to us clearly and we just pray this morning that as I uh, preach your word, your gospel message, that what you want to say to us comes to the surface. I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would speak instead. So we pray all these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So I'm just going to light this candle here as a... Reminder of Christ's presence with us today, the Holy Spirit. So we have Paul going from Paphos, where he was with, um, if you were here last week, Dustin was speaking, he met with a Jewish sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, and then the proconsul who was intelligent and interested and turned to God. And so you've got him going from there and continuing on to Pisidian Antioch. And so we're going to start up in verse 14. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Now, synagogues had an order to them. They would read from the law, the first five books of the Torah, right? The Pentateuch, and then from the prophets. And then they would ask scholarly and wise people in their community to speak. Now, I do wonder, I wonder if they knew that Paul had studied under Gamaliel, who was this incredibly well-known teacher and rabbi. 
I wonder if they were like, oh my goodness, you have to speak. Like, come and, and share from what the books of the Pentateuch are saying, right? So, now, I wonder, so Paul is invited to come and share. If you were to explain to an all-Jewish audience in a synagogue about Jesus, how would you do that? If you were to walk into a room, you're asked to speak, where would you start? Do you have an inkling? No, I said I will start by leaving. You would leave? Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, I, I think about it, and I'm like, oh, how would you lay out the signposts, right? How would you explain the Messiah coming? So you've got Paul's first recorded sermon here. So it's a mainly Jewish audience. There are some God-fearing Gentiles in the room, and they have a strong knowledge of Hebrew scripture. And they've already read from the law and also the prophets, and so we have Paul matching their interest and ability, and he jumps in and begins explaining the law and the prophets. So that's kind of where we're, we're continuing. So he's in the synagogue, and we're continuing in verse 16. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. That's a quick snapshot, isn't it? <laughs> He's just bullet-pointing here. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him, I had found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendant, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So you see this really quick wrap-up. He's building significant signposts the Exodus, wilderness wanderings, promised land, judges, kings. And then you have this really interesting comparison. Here you have Saul. You wanted a king. You wanted a king that looked like a king. He was tall and handsome and had all the stuff about him that you liked. So I gave him to you. And then I removed him because he was disobedient. His heart was not with me. And then I chose and I gave you David. So you've got this really interesting comparison. David, a man after my own heart. Someone who doesn't look a role, but follows me. And then you've got John the Baptist. 
and away from Jerusalem, John the Baptist most likely would have been regarded as quite a great prophet. And he is a witness to Jesus. One so great whose sandals he's not worthy to untie. And you've got this figure, John the Baptist, like Samuel, introducing to Israel his chosen king. John the Baptist introduces the king, who is Jesus. And it's this great good news God has brought to Israel, the Savior Jesus, as he promised. So you've got all of these really significant signposts. He moves through a bit quick just to get to Jesus as king and savior. We continue in verse 26. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news that God promised our ancestors he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've become your father. And so again, we have this really interesting comparison. John the Baptist accepting Jesus, pointing to Jesus, and then we have the people that reject Jesus, Jerusalem and their rulers. And it's highlighting the innocence of Jesus over the guilt of the Jewish people. And so you've got, within this passage, you've got the facts of the gospel, the ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's saying, like, this is not just theology. This is a historic thing. Go ask them. People who were witnesses, they were there. They'll tell you what they saw. Picking up again in verse 34. So we've got this resurrection story. God raised him from the dead so that you will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will not let you, your Holy One, see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends... I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care what the prophet have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. So if you have your Bibles or a phone to kind of look back on, this might be a good time to do that because I want us to just think about what, what is Paul trying to say here? What are some, what are some patterns you maybe see in, in his sermon to this audience? What, what is something that stands out to you about what he is saying? 
Are there overarching themes or things that are significant that strike you? So using a lot of like brothers, like we, we are together in this. Jesus is for us. Yeah. What else strikes you or stands out to you? Yeah, Laura. Absolutely. Here are the prophecies. Here is the response. This is the answer to kind of like you've been waiting. This is the answer. This is what you've been waiting for. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, Nathan. Yeah, there's this like little comparison going between this person said yes, this person said no. Here you have a choice. You can say yes or you can be warned, right? So it's a promise and a warning. Yeah. Yeah. Joanna. What I find interesting is that um, further on in the passage, it says, you know, people all showed up. Like, nearly the whole town came back. But I wonder if that caused concern, because if the whole town came back, that included Gentiles. And after the whole town came back, all of a sudden resistance rises. Because it's one thing to think there's freedom, in Jesus, but it's another thing to think for them too. 
if there's freedom in Jesus for me and I'm on the in-group, that feels great. But if it includes these other people I don't like who are not good enough, that all of a sudden feels pretty concerning. Power threatened, but also like, I've been doing all the right things my whole life. Why are they included? Like, I don't like them. They're Gentiles. They're pagans, right? They're not in the in- So, So you kind of get this really interesting response a little bit further on. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of get this really interesting part where the law that you've built everything on, I'm a, I'm a great Jew. I follow all the rules. I come to synagogue. I'm in the line of Abraham. Therefore, I'm saved. And all of a sudden, it's like, that's not it. You're not saved just by the value of you being a Jew. Are you gonna Well, it's interesting as we continue further, but it's the God-fearing who are Gentile who find the most possibly connection because they have the most to benefit, probably. They don't have to become Jewish in order to be saved, following all the customs and all the laws and all the... I don't know what that noise is. Um, Okay. So some of the things that I <laughs> thanks um, some of the things that I noticed and that s- struck me is that as you look at the passage, you do have this interesting language being used, where God is coming out as sovereign and faithful, and and so as a as an average Jewish person at this time, you believe just by the benefit of being Jewish that you are saved, but, but you see that, that Paul is emphasizing, you know, who is at work here in the history of Israel? It's God. And God chose our fathers and made the people great. He led them out of Egypt. And God bore with them in the wilderness. 
and God destroyed seven nations and gave them the land. And God gave them judges and God gave them Saul. And when he removed him, he raised up David and God brought to Israel a savior as he promised. God did this in Israel. And you do get that weird comparison then of, oh, it was despite you. It was despite the people of Israel that God showed you grace and mercy. You were turning away and I brought you back. I did this for you. I was at work. God is at work. Every blessing they received was in spite of them because God is faithful. And so you get this this thought that you cannot be saved by earning your way into God's kingdom. It is not earned. And so you get this shift. Oh, it's not earned. Okay. So God is at work. And also Jesus. So, right, it's all culminating to the central point of Jesus as Savior and King. Jesus saves. I think of, as I think about that, that feels like a very 1970s kind of phrase, Jesus saves, and it reminds me of this little magnet that was on my grandparents' fridge in Wollongong, Australia. My Spanish grandparents, who didn't necessarily read English, had a magnet that said, Jesus saves, and I still don't know where they got that from. I'm only assuming they must have gotten it from my mother, and she stuck it up there, or I can't imagine, because they, they weren't believers, and, but every time I would go to their house, I would always look at that magnet, and I still have that. I got that magnet, so, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I saved it, so I saved Yeah. But he doesn't go all the way back to Abraham, which is, it was the, God's promise to Abraham to yeah. be a blessing to all nations. Oh, that's so interesting. That inclusion of yeah. not just the Jewish people, but all nations, so including the Gentiles. Yeah. And so it's like he leads them to Jesus, but he doesn't connect Jesus all the way back to Abraham. the original. That's interesting. So he wasn't necessarily trying to provoke them by saying the Gentiles are going to be a part of this too until maybe when all the town shows up and they realize the Gentiles are going to be a part of this too, which is when they respond with, we don't like this at all. This is not what we thought it was going to be. That's interesting. Um, So we have this. So I just want to read verse 38 again. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is where it's all leading. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. In Christ, through grace, we are forgiven from sin. We are made good, right, and whole before God. This is justification. You have freedom and forgiveness through Christ. And he stands as our representative. No longer under the law of Moses, which could not save you. Jesus instead saves. So this is Paul's sermon. And this is the theology of the early church. What I find so interesting is that this is 
almost the same as Peter's sermon. 15 years, about 15 years prior, Acts 2, Pentecost. And you've also got Stephen, Acts 7. This, this is not, there's not a lot of change happening in the gospel message being preached. There is consistency here. And so as I think about what does that tell us about the early church? It tells us this is an important theology for them. This was the theology of the early church. It was pretty consistent. And it just reminds me, it just made me think like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as, just as I was reading this and thinking about this, what does this say about the unchanging character of who God is? And what does this say for us here now? Um, Eugene Peterson's son, Leif, which I love that name, um, told him, you know, I've been listening to the same sermon that you have preached my entire life. You have one sermon. And uh, that made him pretty disappointed because, you know, you're trying to be creative. You're trying to get in there and shake things up and you're putting a lot of prayer and thought into the sermon every week and so he was a little disappointed when he heard that um, but I think it can be a really good thing and he says this is, and this is his son to him, he said this is the sermon your one sermon that I hear every time I hear you speak God loves you God is on your side he is coming after you and he is relentless And I think about that as I think about the consistency of this message. And like I said, initially I was like, oh no, a sermon. I'm going to be preaching Paul's sermon. (laughs) Like, But really, what is this for us? It is the consistency of the gospel message. God is at work and he's leading us to Christ. And in Jesus, we can be good and right and whole before God. So I want us to consider some questions. And at the the edge of each row, I have some white paper and pens or markers. And so if you are sitting on the inside row or if you're in the back, we have some extras up here. So you can feel free to grab these. I don't know if people want to... Oh, they're also in the back. Okay. You might not have some. I'm just going to put them here. But um, I want you to just take a moment to, let's just spend some time reflecting. Because I think about this idea that God is at work. God has been at work throughout history, right? Leading us to Jesus. So I want us to take a time and, and think about where are the signposts in your life that either have led you to Jesus where are the experiences? What, what, is, what is God saying? Or where are you in your journey towards Jesus? So thinking about, like, where is the hand of God at work in your life? Where have you looked back? Can you see that God has been moving you to Jesus? Or if you're not there, what are some questions you have for God, even this morning? So you've got a marker or a pen, so just take a moment. If you want to draw some little signposts and then write in them, that would be cool too. So again, the question was, where do you see the hand of God at work in your own life? What signposts are leading you or 
questions you have that you might have around Jesus. And this can be a timeline or it can be like little signposts that you've drawn so lovingly. So if you feel comfortable, um, maybe take a moment to share with somebody around you um, about maybe either questions or signposts that kind of have maybe just choose one that, it, that has been meaningful to you um, as you think about this journey that you're on. So thank you so much for sharing and thank you for those who maybe found this incredibly awkward. Thank you for engaging in this. Um, whether you sat and reflected or connected with another person around you, thank you for thinking about this. I think one of the most important things that I keep going back to is the importance of remembering. Because sometimes when we're in the midst of our lives, we can forget to look for God <laughs> and forget that God is with us. And, and so it's the act of remembering and looking back and saying, oh, yeah. I remember that God was faithful here. And oh, I remember the promises God made. And oh, I see how he was at work there. And it's through that remembering that we can take courage and persevere sometimes through some really hard stuff. Um, would anybody feel comfortable maybe to share a signpost that you have had with our community as an encouragement? I think one of the interesting things is that God is at work, right? I am here today because God is at work in my life. Um, and I think that as I think about the early church and I think about Paul and the apostles and the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, that this is the continued story of Jesus in the world. The kingdom continues and we are a part of that the hands and feet of Christ in our community now, drawn together to live life together, some of it messy, some of it complex, but God willing with his guidance that we will continue to lean into him and seek him and be directed by him as a community, as individuals, um, yeah, so, so as we prepare for communion today, um, I want to invite the worship team to come up. Um, we recognize that God is at work throughout history, leading us towards Jesus and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him, Jesus, and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. So today, as we take communion together as people seeking, and again, some of us may be on different parts of this journey, but as we seek Jesus, we take the bread and the wine and know that in Christ we are good right and whole because of Jesus in our lives with him.
before God. So would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, we are so thankful that we are invited into your community, that we have belonging with you, that we are welcomed. God, that you loved us first, that you called us first. And so God, we, we see your hand at work and we, God, we ask that you continue to show yourself to us and in your kindness lead us closer to you.